0: Have you noticed, like I have, when you study through the Gospels, it's kind of hard to put things in chronological order sometimes. In other words, Matthew might put focus and place emphasis here. Luke might place emphasis there, Uh, Mark might place some emphasis here, and then John somewhere else. And I thought what we would do tonight uh, is we celebrate our Good Friday service. And by the way, it's Friday in Israel because it starts at sundown and they're seven hours ahead of us. So if you say, hey, it's Thursday, it's Friday in Israel, so we're close. I thought we would just take a look at at the chronological order of what happened in the final moments of Jesus's life, beginning with the Garden of Gethsemane. I thought we'd walk through the scriptures. We're going to be turning a lot between the gospels. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 14, uh, and then we'll be going over to John, back to Mark, back to Luke, or over to Luke, and then back to John. So we'll be switching around a little bit. But I just want to remind you that Jesus shared the Passover meal or the Last Supper with his disciples, and during that time, it was his final moments with them. Some wonderful things happened. He showed he washed their feet. Remember, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and what a beautiful message he gave us on serving. And then he got to Peter, and Peter said, "No, I, you know, I won't let you wash my feet, Lord." And Jesus said, "Well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me." And Peter, in in the way he does, says, "What? Well, then wash my whole body. I want all of you, Lord." And Peter, you know, said that he would never deny the Lord, and Jesus predicted his denial during that Last Supper, during that time together. He told us about the Holy Spirit. John John records it in John chapter 14 through 16. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit during the Last Supper, and he also gave us communion. He gave us uh, the elements, the bread and the wine, and as, he, as they shared that Last Supper, he gave us, you know, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And uh, we still do that as a church, and we do that individually today, and what a blessing that is. And after that last supper, we read they came, they went out and they sung a hymn and a song together, and then we know that they moved from inside of Jerusalem, they came outside of the city, they went down the hill, across the Kidron Valley to the east, and they went up on the side of the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And there's, if you can go there today, there's parts of it that have been preserved, there's very large olive trees. Uh, in, our, in our last trip over to Israel, we spent some time there, we'll spend some time there again and you can sit in the garden of gethsemane which has the, the view overlooking the city of jerusalem just like he would have had doesn't look the same today as it did back then but it's the same geographical area and you can kind of get the idea of the landscape of what it is so we're going to pick up in mark chapter 14 verse 32 it says then they came to a place which was named gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while i pray The word Gethsemane means oil press, and it was an olive orchard. There were olive trees there. There still are olive trees there. And he tells his disciples, sit while I pray a while. Then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And that word for troubled, it means to be moved to an intense emotional state. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just, I'm worrying about something. It wasn't just a simple worrying. It was in a move to an intense emotional state. Deeply distressed means, uh, ang- it means to anxiety, anxious. He's, he's moved, he's emotional, he's anxious, he's deeply dis- distressed. And he says to his disciples in verse 34, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He says, my soul, it's very sad. It's deeply grieved, even up until death. And he tells the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, you stay here and you watch. And other gospels would say, pray, lest you enter into temptation. Pray, I want you praying with me here. Verse 35, he went a little further and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Think about what he's praying there. All things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Another another place in scripture, if there be any other way, let this cup pass by. You know what that shows us? There was no other way for salvation except for the cross. There was no other way. There was no alternative. There was nothing. If there was right there, God would have answered that prayer of his. If there be any other way, all things are possible for you. Can you make another way? The answer is no. You're going to have to endure the cross. You're going to have to go to the cross. But I love what he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Oh, how we would do well to learn to say those words to the Lord in our own life. It's not what I want, Lord. It's what you want. Lord, I know it's going to be painful. I know it might be difficult, but I'll endure whatever you set before me because it's your will. Lord, I'll endure an illness. I'll endure a move. I'll endure a difficult job. I'll endure a difficult marriage. I'll endure whatever you set before me, Lord, because it's your will. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, I'll do it for the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Your will, Lord. How we should learn that. Nevertheless, not my will, but what you will. So he comes back and he finds him sleeping. He says to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, you're not the only one that falls asleep when you pray. Peter falls asleep too. They all fall asleep. It's late at night. What did they just have? A big meal, right? They're full. They're sitting on the side of the mountain. They're, they're overlooking the city. They're full. And Peter falls asleep and Jesus says, Peter, watch. The flesh is weak the spirit is willing the flesh is weak oh how we understand that verse 39 again he went away and he prayed and he spoke the same words and when he returned he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy they did not know what to answer him they didn't know how to answer him. then he came the third time and said to them are you still sleeping and resting third time you've fallen asleep and he says it is enough the hour has come enough the hour has come wake up it's enough the hour is come it's time it's here behold the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand when you sit on the side of the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can look down across the Kidron Valley and you can look just south of the city of Jerusalem and you can see where Caiaphas's house was, who was the high priest at that time. And you could have seen the men coming from that area or coming from the, if they were coming from the temple, you would have seen the torches. You would have seen the the group of men. You can see that they wouldn't be traveling in darkness. They'd be coming with torches. You could see them coming as he's, I just imagine him pointing across saying, look, they're coming. His disciples are still scratching his head. For what? What are you talking about? What's going on? They're still not getting it. They don't understand what's going on. He says, my betrayer is at hand. Turn with me over to John chapter 18. Notice Jesus gets up from the garden of Gethsemane and he goes to meet those who are betraying him. He goes out to meet them. Chapter John chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. We already, I'm just going to recap it here. Where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This was a regular prayer spot for Jesus. It's where he took them to pray often. It was a place that they go. Do you have a regular prayer spot? Do you have some place that you go often to pray in your house? And is it a room? Is it a prayer closet? War room's been popular. The movie's been out. People are making prayer closets. Do you have some place that you go sit and meet with the Lord? Where the computer's not dinging and the phone's not ringing? And do you, ha- do you have a special space, a special place where you can go? And this is where I go meet with the Lord. This is where Jesus took his disciples. It says they met there often. That's how Judas knew that he was going to be there. He'd been there with them. Verse 3, then Judas having received a detachment of troops... And officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came there with lanterns, torches and weapons. Verse four, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and he said to him, "Whom are you seeking?" And they answered him, "Jesus of Nazareth." And he said to him, or said to them, "I am. I am He. I am." The he is in italics. The original language there is "I am." Just like when Moses was in the desert in a burning bush. Lord, who do I tell him sent me? God, God met Moses, said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh. Tell him, tell him, I am sent me. Who is it? I am. I am the living God. I am everything that you need. I am sent me. Jesus, when he says it that way, he's, ref- he's saying, I am God. I am God. I am sent me. I am sent me. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Just picture that. Here they are on the side of the Mount of Olives. Here comes the guys, and they're mad. They're ready for war. They've got weapons and torches and lanterns. I say, Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Walk. Never hurt anybody. Never done anything. Just, just, you know, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am He. And whew, they fall over. I'm just going over. I, I, I'd have got up and left right there. I'm done. You guys are on your own. I'm out. You know, anybody knocks me over like that, that's it. I'm done. But they fall over. And he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I've told you, I'm he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these, and I can imagine him pointing to his apostles, with the exception of Judas, let these go their way. That, it, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of those whom which you gave me, I have lost none. Who's he referring to there? Of those, as he's, he's, he says to the apostles, they're with him, and he points to them, of those which you have gave me, I have lost none. He's referring to them. He's reiterating, reiterating what he said previously in John chapter 17, verse 12. So before you say, well, what about Judas? Look at verse 12 in John chapter 17. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled oftentimes that area of scripture is used for uh eternal security for salvation but he's not referring to that there he's referring to the apostles they've made it through all the ones that you've gave me with the exception of judas and he clarifies that back in chapter 17 they're all with me they're still here now you can have me but you need to let them go let them go notice how he's still in charge he's telling them what to do you have me and for their sakes or where did uh, i lost my spot where was i Nine Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, and he cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, "Put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me?" What did Peter say earlier? I'm going to fight to the death for you. I'm not going to let you go." Peter takes out his sword, cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus says, "Put your sword away." I've got to drink the cup. This is the path that God has put me on. You don't understand what's going to happen. The cross is going to change everything, Peter. I have to continue on this. I can't stop here. And he puts it on. I got a little note in my Bible. It says the last miracle that Jesus did before he went to the cross was fix the mistake of one of his followers. Put his ear back on. Jesus said, I'm going to heal. Can you imagine? They fall over. Now they just watch a guy's ear get cut off. He puts it on and Jesus says, Peter, I got your back. Don't worry about it. all right Peter it's okay I'm gonna put his ear back on and he puts his ear back on he just puts it right back on the servant's name was Malchus Jesus said put your sword into the sheath shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me then verse 12 the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him they arrested him and they bound him he came to meet them remember He, he came to them he, they knew where he would be. He'd been speaking publicly in the, in the temple. He, had, he hadn't been trying to hide from them. They arrest him and they bind him like a criminal. In verse 13, says, they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. You see, after Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to make a few stops. He's going to go to Annas' house. He's going to go to Caiaphas' house. Then he's going to be before the Sanhedrin, which may have been in the temple or it may have been in Caiaphas' house. We're not sure of that. And then he's going to go on to Pilate. He'll go to Herod and then back to Pilate. So he's going to make a few stops along the way, and we're going to kind of hit each one of those places. So in John chapter 18, he's here at Annas' house, which is the first stop. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. So in other words, who do you think put him there? Who do you think's pulling the strings in the family? Dad's pulling the strings in the family, but his son-in-law is holding the office of the high priest now. They take him to Annas' house. In, uh, in John chapter 18, verses 15 and 18, you'll see Peter's first denial of Jesus. That's possible that happened at Annas' house. It would be one of those possibilities there. And then down in chapter, in verse, uh, let's see where we're at. Verse, we'll, we'll go down to John chapter 18, verse 19. We're still at Annas's house. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered and said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well... Why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the first time Jesus is struck is here at Annas' house. He's asked the question. And he answers, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the temple. They want to know, Annas, what do you believe? Tell us what you're teaching. He goes, I've been teaching openly. Anybody, ask everybody else what I've been teaching them. It would be like somebody coming to me and saying, well, tell me what you believe. Well, just ask the church what I believe because they're going to know because I've been teaching. I'm not hiding. Go on the internet and pull the messages down. It's, all, it's public information. It's all there. Just ask somebody else what I believe. And as he gets that response, and I don't believe it was sarcastic, all of a sudden he's struck. He's struck by the servants. And then Jesus looks at the servant and he says to him, listen, if I've spoken evil, bear, tell me, where have I spoken wrong? Tell me what I've done wrong. Tell me if... If I've done something wrong, if I've spoken something that's wrong, right now, tell me what it is. Now, I don't think he said right now, but he simply said, if I've done something wrong, what is it? Wouldn't that cause you to think a minute? Wouldn't that cause you to kick back and go, wait, 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 what what has he done wrong? You see, they're on an agenda because they don't want Jesus around anymore. They're on an agenda to kill him and to crucify him. It's already been pre-planned out. And he says, if I've spoken well, if I haven't done anything wrong, if there's nothing that you can show me that I've done wrong, why are you hitting me? why are you doing that? Why are you hitting me? And Anna sends him off to Caiaphas, the high priest. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 14. We're going to take a look at what happens at Caiaphas's house. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. Jesus has stopped at Annas' house after his arrest. Now he's going to be at Caiaphas' house. It says in verse 53, They led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself by the fire. It's never good to follow at a distance. And it's never good to warm yourself by the fire of the enemy. I'd rather be cold than to be warm and standing with the enemy. Now the chief priests in verse 55 and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. All right, guys, we've got a plan. We want to put him to death. Tell us why. Tell us what he's done wrong. They found none. Come on, there's got to be somebody that's seen him do something wrong. Anything, anybody. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. They couldn't even get their own people to agree on the lies. It was, it was ridiculous. Then some rose up and they bore false witness against him, saying, well, we heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. But not even their testimony agreed. It's a pretty shoddy case. This is going to be a slam dunk for any attorney, right? You can't. Your witnesses aren't even saying what they're supposed to be saying. You're not helping yourself here. You're hurting yourself here. Verse sixty. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, "Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you?" Isn't that great? That's like trying to get him to implicate himself. Aren't you going to talk? What, What are they? What are they? What are they trying to implicate you for? That's like saying, tell me what you did wrong. Why are they trying to implicate you? What are these men talking about? Verse 61, but he kept silent and answered nothing. There's a time in life to be silent and not answer. There's a time to just, I don't have anything to say. What you're asking isn't worth me answering. I'm not even going to go there. And again, the high priest asked him, but he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the christ the son of the blessed in other words he's saying are you the messiah are you the one that are you the son of god are you the son of the blessed are you the messiah and jesus says in verse 62 i am i am sometimes people will say jesus never 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 ever claimed to be god just read it with your own eyes at some of the knocks and some of the cults, they believe Jesus was not God. Are you the son of the God? I am. When he says, I am, who's he referring to? It's the same I am that appeared to Moses in the Old Testament. I am. And he says, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds on heaven. And the high priest tears his clothes and says, what further need do we have of a witness? You've heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be to deserving of death. In other words, they realized the fact that he was claiming to be the son of God. He was claiming to be God himself. If you were the son of God, you were God. It was like you were, you were, you were, you were one with him. It's, it's, he's, he's saying you were the son of God, you are God. The priest realizes this is blasphemy. But it, you know what? It's only blasphemy if it's a lie, isn't it? What if it's true? And it's not blasphemy at all. If you or I were to claim to be God, it would be blasphemy. But it wasn't for him. If any human being was to claim to be God, it would be blasphemy, but not him. It's truth. You asked me a question. He can't lie. So he says, I am. I am. The priest tears his clothes and says, what more testimony do we need? By his own mouth, he's committing blasphemy. Verse 65, then some begin to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. As he claims to be God, as he de- de- declares to be God, they, be- they, they don't think he's telling the truth. They began to spit on him, strike him and beat him. You see, they had, the Jewish had a, had, a, had a history that the Messiah, they had a belief the Messiah would be able to know the people that were hitting him. They would be able to smell everybody and they would, through, through smell and through, you know, through the Lord. They'd be able to know who's doing it. So they're doing this out of spite. They're, in their in their religion, they believe that the Messiah would be able to know who it was. And the thing is, Jesus knew every one of them. He knew everybody that spit. He knew everybody that hit. Even though he was blindfolded, he knew who was putting the blows to him. He knew that he was getting hit, who he was getting hit by. And they're saying, "Prophesy! Tell us who it is that hits you." He stands there, not saying a thing, not saying another thing. They've got what they wanted. He's committed blasphemy in their eyes. They want to sentence him to death, but they have a problem. You know what the problem is? Well, they have two problems. One, they can't because that, that power has been taken away from. The other problem is it's the middle of the night. And they weren't legally, by their own law, allowed to have a trial in the middle of the night. They had to wait till morning time before they could have a trial. So they're going to bring him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, They're going to bring them before all the leaders. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 22, to see what happens in the morning. It's likely during this time, Jesus would have stayed at Caiaphas' house waiting for morning. The trial may have been at Caiaphas's house. In our last trip to Israel, we, we went to Caiaphas's house. It's been unearthed in the city of David. Down in the basement, there's a dungeon that you can actually walk down into. There's a hole in the floor of Caiaphas's house. There's a Catholic church built on it right now. There's a hole in the floor where they would have lowered him down if they were going to keep him for any period of time, and that would have been where he was kept. You can actually walk down into that. You can see the carvings on the walls. You can see the stocks where people's hands would be put into, and you can go right down into there and see where if he was actually kept at Caiaphas' house, where he would have been kept while he was there. Where did I say we were going, Luke? Luke 22, let me get there. Got to quit talking and start turning. Luke 22, we'll pick up in verse 66. He's facing the Sanhedrin. I know we're turning a lot, but I want to kind of give you chronologically what's happening tonight. Verse 66, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, you see, it's daytime now. They're allowed, to have a, they're allowed to have a trial. They're allowed to have this trial. They already had their trial. They already knew the outcome. This is, this, is, this, is a, this is bogus. They already knew what was coming on. They're trying to be religious and follow their own rules, but yet they're about to condemn and sentence a man to death. They lead him into their council and they say to him, we only have one question for you. Look at verse 67. If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. Well, that doesn't doesn't give them enough. They need to have it formal trial. That's not enough. And they say in verse 68, and if I also, or he continues, if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Here and after the son of man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. But that's not not quite enough. It's not clear enough for them. No, they say in verse 70, are you the son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. You rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Mark tells us the high priest, they declared blasphemy. Blasphemy, they declared. And they send him off to Pilate. That was all they needed. It was a rather short Testimony, rather short trial before the Sanhedrin. It was already predetermined what they wanted. They just wanted to get him to say that he was the son of God. They could declare it as blasphemy, and off they would send him to Pilate. So he goes off to Pilate, Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose, and they led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying... We found this fellow perverting the nation, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Is that what is that what they were back back in the trial? What was the what was the charge against him? He was committing blasphemy, saying he was the Son of God. Right. If someone, if someone came up to you today and said they were God or the son of God, not referring to a Christian being a son or a daughter of the Lord, you just think they're out of their mind, right? You, you wouldn't sentence somebody to death for that. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that much. It'd be, okay, yeah, you're just two bricks short of a load. You know, they've got to come up with something better than, than just blasphemy. So what do they come up with? Well, he told people not to pay taxes to Caesar and that he thinks he's a king. Oh, that'll get, that'll get, that'll get Pilate going. Not to pay taxes. No, you've got to pay taxes to Caesar. He thinks he's a king. Well, I'll show him who's king. They're completely lying. They're lying. They're, it's false charges. They're not even telling the truth in this situation. And Pilate asked him, in verse 3 of twenty chapter 23, Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, and he said, It is as you say. In other words, you betcha. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep, that's me. I'm him. It's just as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I don't find any fault in this man. But they were more fierce, saying, no, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. No, you don't understand, He's, he's stirring up the people, he's causing a problem. Now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get a little help from Pilate here. Pilate, he's not so good. He's already been in trouble with Caesar in Rome a couple of times. They're not real happy with the Jewish uprisings that are happening during this time. And Pilate isn't really controlling things the way that he should be controlling them. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, listen, we know that you're going to get in trouble. We know that you're going to lose your position if there's an uprising here. And this man's trying to start an uprising. This man's trying to, to do this. So you're going to need to take care of this. And they're, they're really kind of manipulating the situation on how they're going to get this done. But then they say something. He started in from Judea beginning in Galilee. The Galilee region is north of Judea or Jerusalem quite a ways. Uh, Pilate wasn't in charge of that area. That would have been Herod's area. Herod was in charge of the the region in Galilee. Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. He would have been there for the Passover. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Oh, good. I get to meet him. For he has desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Oh, I just want to see what, what he's going to do. I just want to see one of the tricks. Just show me a miracle. Show, show, give, me, give me something good. I want to see something. And Herod questioned him with many words. But it says Jesus answered him nothing. Didn't say a word to Herod. Nothing. The chief priests and the scribes vehemently, that means vigorously, forcefully, passionately, accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, and they mocked him. They took Jesus, and they began playing games with him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and they sent him back to Pilate. Oh, he says he's king of the Jews. Here you go. Let's put a robe on him. Let's make fun of the king. Let's make fun of him a little bit that very day Pilate and Herod became friends with each other for previously they had been at enmity with one another so Pilate sees Jesus first realizes he's from Galilee sends him to Herod trying to do what get rid of the problem I'll just let Herod handle the problem so I'll send it up there Jesus goes before Herod and says nothing they make fun of him they put a they put a robe on him and they do what they send him back to Pilate saying, hey, he's your problem. Now turn with me to John chapter 18. This is Jesus' second time before Pilate. We we'll Pick up in verse 39 as he comes before Pilate. Pilate is speaking to the Jews. He says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We're also told he was a murderer. And then Pilate, not knowing what to do, Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, So then Pilate took Jesus, and he scourged him. Do you know what that means? Do you know what a scourging was? It had two purposes. Everybody that was sentenced to death would get scourged. It was a normal thing. But it was also an interrogation thing. Pilate's got a problem here. The Jewish people don't really like Jesus. They want him to be crucified. But in Pilate's examination of him, he finds nothing wrong so he says let's scourge him let's take him out back let's take him to the place let's take him to the whipping post and we're going to scourge him it was an interrogation technique used to get people to admit to their crimes and to their wrongdoings and it was done most commonly with what was called a cat of nine tails it was a handle with some leather strands on it most people look think it looked much like this on the end of this are lead balls with points in it. Back then they would put shards of glass in it. They would make a whip out of it. And they would take these things and they would beat him with it. But it wasn't just any beating. What they would do is they would strip his outer garments off. They would tie his hands to a hitching post or to a post above his head so his back was fully exposed. And with many pieces of sharp objects and glass on these things, they would smack him on the back with it and they would leave it lay there as everything stuck into his back. And they would wait for him to confess. There must have been something you've done wrong. And then depending on if you confess, they would take it out easier. If you didn't, they would pull downward on it, causing the back to be torn open. And we're told in the scriptures that he was scourged until he was unrecognizable as a man. This is our best rendition of what a Roman scourge would have looked like. You're welcome to come up and see it. Um, It's rather heavy. It actually has it. And I can only imagine what it would feel like if that was laid across your back. And then you were forced to confess. I think most people would start making stuff up. They would start saying anything. Just stop, just stop hitting me. But he couldn't do that, could he? He couldn't lie. Because then he wouldn't have been sinless. He was forced to take it. He was scourged. He was beaten beyond recognition. Verse 2 of chapter 19. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. There's an idea what a crown of thorns would look like hanging on the cross there. A purple robe, why? They're making fun of him for being a king. How do you think that would have felt up against open wounds from the scourging? And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. They're making a joke. They're making a mockery out of Jesus. and He's not saying a word. They struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and he said to them, Behold, I'm bringing out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. The first time Pilate asked questions, the second time he scourged him and he confessed to nothing. There was nothing he could confess to. He couldn't say he did anything wrong. And Pilate presents him unrecognizable. Behold, I find no fault in him a spotless lamb he'd endured the examination I'd find no fault in you verse 5 then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them behold the man I am sure this is my opinion not scriptural But I don't believe Pilate or anybody else had ever seen anybody endure a scourging like that and not say a word. He couldn't say a word. I think that they when he said, Behold the man, he was saying he is the man. No one has endured that. No one has gone through that. No one has has done that. No everybody confesses something. Everybody has something they've done wrong. Behold the man. Verse 6, therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out. They said, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him, we want him dead. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. Again, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. And Jews answered him and they said, we have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God it's only blasphemy if it's a lie therefore when Pilate heard that saying he was more afraid and he went again to the praetorium and he said to Jesus where are you from but Jesus gave him no answer Pilate said to him are you not speaking to me do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you He's fooled about how much power he really has, isn't he? Look what Jesus says to him. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. You have no power except what's been given to you by God. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus straightens out his thinking. You see, Pilate thought he was the man. I've got the power. And Jesus says, you have no power at all unless it's been given to you by God. Verse 12, from then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this go, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Wow. Do you see their plan? We're going to twist it, we're going to make it Jesus against Caesar. Therefore, we've got to get Pilate to give him. To crucify him. You see, the Jews didn't have the power to put anybody to death. And just by the way, there was a prophecy that was written hundreds of years beforehand that, that, that when the scepter passes from Judah, the Messiah will be coming on the scene. The scepter represented their ability to govern themselves and the ability to, for the, to, to establish a death penalty was the basic premise of being able to govern yourself. They should have known by the fact that they didn't, because they weren't able to, because they had lost the ability to send someone to death, they should have known the Messiah was on the scene. They should have seen it on Palm Sunday as they realized that we talked about on Sunday. They should have, the clues were there. They missed it. When Pilate heard, therefore heard in verse 13 that saying he brought Jesus out and he sat down in the judgment seat in the place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha, now it was the preparation day of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, Even the heathen king is telling him he's their king. And they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Matthew chapter 27 verse 25 tells us they also said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children we have no king but caesar name israel governed by god here they're rejecting their king and they're taking up caesar as their king we have no king but caesar verse 16 then he delivered him to them to be crucified so they took jesus and they led him away Can you imagine what that scene looked like? How it unfolded in the streets of Jerusalem. Verse 17, and he bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side. And Jesus was in the center, crucified him. Probably one of the most horrible ways to die. It was a long, it was a slow, and it was a painful death if you saw the passion of, of the christ you probably saw it's a good depiction of what it would look like they would lay the man down they would strap his arms to the cross or to the crossbeam that he had been carrying through the city we know from the scripture simon the cyrene had to help him carry it because he wasn't even able to carry it it was weighed somewhere between 75 and 150 pounds it was a big crossbeam on there he wasn't able to carry that weight because he was beaten so badly and you can imagine what that would have felt like as you put it across his scourged back they would have laid him down on the cross. They would have strapped him. They would have put the nails through his through his, his wrist so he didn't fall off. They would have put the nail through his feet, but they do it a little bit different than we think sometimes. His hands would be outstretched, but his feet would be bent. He, they would be up against the cross, sometimes a little bit of post. He wasn't way up on a hill. He was probably right along the side of the road. There would have been a little stand at the bottom of the cross for his feet to rest on. Do you know what the stand was for? It was so when you're hanging... All of your weight is hanging on your arms. It's hard to breathe because your lungs are being collapsed. So what you could do is to get a breath of air, you would take your feet and you would stand up, and as you came up, you would gasp for a breath of air, and then you would sink back down. And you would do that over and over and over again. Sometimes crucifixion would last for days. They wouldn't take you off the cross. It wasn't their normal thing. They would leave you hanging there, let the birds and the animals come eat you that's what crucifixion was we sing about the cross but the cross was nothing more than a death penalty tool we don't worship the cross the cross brought death and he would hang there that's why they broke their legs so they could no longer get breath when they came to Jesus he had already passed away he had already given up his spirit but they would hang there trying to get a breath back and forth we read there was a sign on top of his cross Look at verse 19. Now Pilate wrote the title and he put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but he said I am the king of the Jews. No, no, don't write it that way. Pilate, you can't write that. You're saying he's the king of the Jews. We want you to write, he says I'm the king of the Jews. See, we're not recognizing him as king. It's a little bit prophetic that that's what Pilate wrote. The king of the Jews. And here it is recorded for us to read. Now, that's that's not what we believe. That's what he says. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I've written. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments. They made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. The tunic was without seam, Woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them and my clothing. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Bible prophecy about the Messiah is still being filled, fulfilled as he hangs on the cross. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, can you imagine what that looked like? Moms, families. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. There was nobody left to take care of her. John, you take care of her. He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The disciple that Jesus loved is John. That's who he's referring to. In other words, he's saying, Mom, John's going to take care of you. John, take care of my mom. Still in control from the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst can i have a drink now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth so when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished in other words i can't go yet there's one more prophecy to be fulfilled i haven't i haven't fulfilled that one about those sour wine they haven't given me the wine yet can i have a drink he knew what they would bring him he knew they weren't going to give him a nice cool drink of water and give him sour wine. Some people think it was to help numb the pain. Whatever the reason was, he had to fulfill the prophecy. And he says those three words. It is finished. You see, when he said in the garden, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass me by. There was no other way. When he says on the cross, it is finished. It is finished salvation is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross there is no other way there can't be if there was it would have been taken he said it is finished and like he's been in control the whole time look what he says and look what he does he said it is finished and bowing his head he gave up not give up like I'm done he chose to give up His spirit. He said it is finished. And he gave up. His spirit. The apostles. Their life. What do you think they were thinking? What do you think his mother was thinking? We know that during the last supper. They had an argument. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? What kingdom? What, what's going on? What kingdom? It's, he's just said it's finished. They're not even there. We, we read in other places, they fled when he was taken into custody. The only one there is John. Peter, we know, denied even look, knowing him. And Jesus went to the cross, and he said those three words, it is finished. Don't ever add anything to the cross. And for us, we have the luxury Of knowing what's coming because we know sunday is on the way don't we we know on sunday there's going to be a celebration of his resurrection they didn't know that their life was torn up their life was shaken everything they believed everything they left behind they left behind their families and their businesses and he's just been crucified he said it is finished and he gave up his spirit